Welcome to the Project Black Podcast, co-hosted by Dara, Fatima, Ryan, and Bree, for Black public health professionals, friends, and colleagues. Tune in as we come together to discuss how we can bridge love, access, community care, and knowledge. We are Project Black. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Project Black Episode 6. We are excited to bring you another episode with our four hosts, and we'll kick it off today with a question for our um, folks on the call. Just talk to us a little bit about your favorite family tradition. Mm, favorite family tradition. Um, I guess for me, it's, I don't know if you'd call it a tradition or a celebration, um, but my mom's side of the family, they uh, celebrate St. John's Day, um, but it's a celebration of the children, and it happens every last Sunday um, of June, and this is the first year that we weren't able to have it because of COVID, which is super sad, but there's um, a whole bunch of traditions kind of looped into there and part of it is parading around the mosque which is like um essentially like a tree on a pulley and there are different there are different prizes in the in the the greatest prize is the pineapple and they allow the kids to go up by different age groups and like you jump up and everyone tries to get the pineapple and there are like other little prizes on it as well um and I definitely have a greater appreciation for it now that I'm older, and especially now that this is the first year we haven't been able to have it in I don't know how long. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love that. Hopefully, the Rona gets its act right, so next summer y'all be able to pick it back up again. Yeah, so I think for me, um, a, a family tradition that I used to think was annoying, but now when I look back, I, I really appreciate it is when um, my dad would wake us up um, in the morning to like pray as a family. And when I was younger, I used to be like, oh my gosh, it's 8 a.m. It's Saturday. Like, I still want to sleep in. Like, why is he doing this to us? Why is he torturing us? But now when I look back, it was, you know, it really, I feel, gave me um, a good foundation for my faith. And like, it's also, you know, you know, with my parents, you know, work a lot. So it's also, one of the few times we for, would formally gather together to do something. So I, w- I would say that's um, a favorite family tradition. Oh, I love that. And are you still with your family? Are you still back home as a result of COVID? Um, I went back home to visit for a little bit, but now I'm, I'm, I'm in Boston, but I hope soon to be able to go back. Yeah, and do y'all, do you said if, uh, in the past y'all have had that as kind of a tradition. Do y'all still do that? Not really, not as much, but but we do when I go back home. But we probably could do something virtually though. We could figure that out. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I was asking because I was just thinking about the question for me and like family traditions on things like definitely I feel like there were a couple of traditions that I had when I was younger, and then my family is really big on like building new traditions, especially as we have more generations born. Um, and so I was just curious about, like, now that we're the adults, what kind of traditions are we setting for our family? And I'll answer the question, though. Um, for me, my favorite family tradition is one, just thinking about, like, every holiday. I've mentioned this on a couple other episodes that my family's really big. Like, my mom has a lot of siblings. There's 11 of them. Um, two have passed away. But all of the siblings will get together on every holiday and have um, food or cook and do like a potluck style dinner. And I would say that's probably just like my favorite family, big family tradition to be able to get to see all my relatives and cousins on the holidays. And if y'all have seen those like black Twitter and like those Facebook memes about what it means to celebrate a holiday with like black relatives and all the chaos and craziness that happens, like that's real life, my family. And so it's always cool just to see people, to share food. My auntie with her banana pudding. Uh, my mama kills it with a potato salad. I love salad banana pudding. <laughs> banana pudding. Oh, so good. Like, <laughs> so it's always fun. And um, I appreciate that. Like, in a, in, when I was younger and even more so now that I'm older and as I've been in Boston for the last four years to be able to um, get excited about, like, celebrating the holidays with my family this year in person. So grateful for Ryan's family hosting me the last couple of years, but it'll be cool to be back home this year if we can get together with Corona or with the, the virus still in the pandemic. But I know eventually I'll be able to see everyone and get together. 
No, I was looking at um, just old pictures. I was actually looking at pictures from the boat cruise and some of the old photos and uh, just my cell phone and like Valentine's Day and Brie was infamous for her Valentine's Day um, celebrations. Oh, yeah. Just, <laughs> like there's so many, you know, even little traditions that we've started with our friend group that I certainly miss, but it's kind of like, you know, everyone's health and safety is is priority first. So hopefully we can get back to better times. But that was actually a, a perfect check-in question. Um, today we are talking about Indigenous health and the state of Native Americans. Specifically, we thought this would be really fitting coming off the heels of our um, Independence Day episode. And pretty much we're just like, how can we talk about health equity in the U.S. and Independence Day without talking about the people who were here first? And tying that back to the check, uh, the checking question about family traditions, indigenous culture is really big on generational wisdom, um, teaching things down, passing things down. Um, and so that family unit is, is really important. So when we talk about indigenous health, I just wanted to, to give some context first. So I've stated before, I'm a Quinnawampanoag. That's a nation in Massachusetts. A lot of people don't know. So the U.S., what we refer to the United States as Indian country because we're not just tribes, but we are <laughs> a, a place of nations. And so there's a lot of really hard details to parcel out, a lot of things that I'm still learning. Um, but just for some like kind of foundational context, there are 573 federally recognized tribes and 63, uh, 63 state recognized tribes. So people often, when they talk about tribes, they just think they kind of have this you know, snapshot of like 1620 <laughs> and don't realize that we're like real people living with you in 2020 as well. But tying back to our last episode of, of health equities, there's just a lot that people don't know that people are still learning. And so I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, recognition, division, um, and kind of how we move forward and stand in solidarity with our Indigenous folks, um, and also the unique history, especially of Black Indians. Uh, so first, I just wanted to kind of like open it up to everyone. And just if you feel comfortable sharing like what you know about Indigenous health, what you know about Indigenous peoples, do you have family members, um, things of that sort. I think I, I still have a lot to learn about like Indigenous health. So what I have learned about Indigenous health is that they are, you know, die at higher rates than many Americans in a lot of categories, such as chronic liver disease, diabetes, unintentional injuries, um, suicide, um, in addition to other diseases. And I feel like a lot of the times they're not talking about what in public health. And I, you know, and that itself is, you know, a disparity. For sure. How about you, Brie? Yeah, thank you for sharing that, um, Dara, and for you for opening up the conversation, Ryan. Like, I appreciate the opportunity to bring this to a wider audience because I do think it's important to think about. I've been seeing this, this is just a random tangent, but I've been seeing BIPOC, like Black, Indigenous, and people of color um we talk about health now and like grouping people instead of like saying pocs like making sure we specifically name indigenous and i think that's so important because often as a black woman and african-american a woman at that like we often talk about communities of color and i don't always think of indigenous folks when i hear that and so i appreciate the reminder to center people of course who are this, this is their native land, this is their home, and that when we think about, that's a whole nother conversation, but um, just thinking for sure, naming the, the work that we still need to do and all of the learning that I still need to take up to make sure I am inclusive when I think about health equity, and so I appreciate this opportunity. And with that being said, I agree with Dara, like I think in graduate school, we definitely touched on the fact that those who are American Indians or Native and Alaskan Native might have higher risk for chronic diseases similar to Black communities, especially those who live on 
the reservations and who grew up in reservations. We know they have access to Indian Health Services and other federal recognized support, but that doesn't always lend itself to people accessing that. And so there's still a greater risk for not being able to have accessible health care that's quality too. So I think about that. And I, and I know that from some of my experience, like as I start this journey from medical school, but I also have family members who are Native. And this is something we can also touch on how you talk to a Black person and everybody want to talk about how that Black person got some Indian in them is what we grew up saying. And like everybody want to have a little Cherokee is what I grew up, grew up hearing. And I'm like, I think that's just problematic. And like, if we can touch on why that's the case, I'm not sure. Um, but that I do have people who are, are part of recognized tribes, tribes and we'll touch on a little bit about what they're doing right now. Um, but I've, I've, because of my access to those folks and to people who I do know who grew up on a reservation, I've learned a little bit more. But yeah, still so much learning to do and happy to start this conversation. For sure. And even like, there's so many parts where I was just like, yes, um, because you really can't, I feel like you really can't talk about systems of oppression without talking about indigenous folks. And just the examples are so endless. And there are many parallels um, to indigenous people, African Americans, black indigenous people. And even Brie, when you just, I'm so glad that you touched on that, this notion of like, you know, everyone wants to be like a little part Cherokee or Navajo or whatever, but there's actually like some truth to that. Um, and we're definitely going to dive into that. And so the first thing that I kind of wanted to set the stage with is I wanted to name that, um, recognition from those who oppress you is not the end-all be-all. And I'm going to provide some information uh, for context as to how this perpetuates institutionalized racism and directly contributes to health equities. So, for example, um, something that I learned and really kind of broke my heart was the Indian Citizenship Act of 1924, which in short <laughs> pretty much means that Native Americans, Indigenous people that have always lived here, did not become citizens of the United States legally until 1924, which is absolutely crazy. And <laughs> so when I hear recognition and, and, you know, what it means even for me to be a member of a federally recognized tribe, like, I don't, I don't hold that higher than somebody who comes from Native ancestry and, and isn't recognized because there are so many examples <laughs> and ways of how they are trying to dwindle the Indigenous population. And that's just one of them, right? Like, how do you create all of these policies and, and, and do all of these things <laughs> to Native American people and then just be like, oh, by the way, in the early 1920s, you're going to become citizens, what, 300 years after you guys came? Like, what, when did the United States, quote unquote, become, was it 1776 to like almost 180 years after that? Like, it's just absolutely mind blowing. So what does it mean to be a part of a federally recognized tribe? So I said nations, and because we're our First Nations people, that that means that federally recognized tribes, the United States government has an agreement. And it's basically like they have like a, a federal, it's almost like they have an agreement with many little countries, right? So yes, I'm part of Wampanoag Nation and my tribe is a Quinnan. There's also the Mashpee Wampanoag. But that means that we are acknowledged to have certain birthrights. So another common misconception is that like, oh, you just get a check because you're native or whatever, whatever. Like one of my birthrights that I have is the fact that I will always have access to healthcare because of my status as a federally recognized Indian. But what does that mean for everybody else who's excluded? And part of what that is also comes into the blood quantum and there are just so many ways that they divide um, indigenous peoples and it's just really sad. So if you're not familiar, the blood quantum um, was initially a system that the federal government placed onto tribes in an effort to limit their citizenship. Not all tribes do the blood quantum, but it's basically a way to prove that I have a certain percentage of native blood in me. 
and we're the only ethnicity or race or whatever that like you have to prove how much blood you have like as a black person have you guys ever been like what percentage of black you are what percentage of white you are how like it's just not a thing so it's just this really unique way of dividing people and what that means because there's a federal to federal relationship that because the U.S. is legally mandated to provide certain things to indigenous folks, if you in place a blood, if you in, enforce a blood quantum, that means that eventually the blood will die out, right? Unless you marry within your tribe, with that whatever, um, regardless of you marry and have children with another native person, like it's just so limiting, and it creates a lot of division, and it creates a lot of resentment, and it's hard to continue to move forward when you even have people within your tribe that aren't recognized and going off of Bree's point especially with black Indians they chose your race for you on your birth certificate so it's true that like a lot of black people do have indigenous blood and they do come from that ancestry but what was put on their birth certificate and who's filling out the birth certificates it wasn't black folks it wasn't indian folks so it's just like we're constantly fighting kind of these ways to make a population to one take them away from their culture take them away from their history and take them away from their understanding and that's what black people and, and African Americans have also dealt with in the United States. So I encourage everyone, like, you know, like if you can, if you're in a if you're in a position to like have those have those conversations, try to dig a little bit deeper um, and kind of see what what you can find. I'm just gonna respond and react to what you just said. Like, let's can we just all like let's go back and let's really emphasize. She Ryan said 1924, y'all. 1924. Think about how recent that is. Where like to to have like a big step as 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 much of like we think about inclusivity and like how we are are supporting folks. Like 1924 is where people were recognized as U.S. citizens but like do you know I think I read somewhere like 1957 is when Indian Americans could begin to vote like so it wasn't even until later where people the same kind of struggles that we see like black people and that black folks had to deal with in the civil rights movement like these are very similar and parallel fights and that's why I'm, I'm really am grateful we're having this conversation and you definitely thinking about like blood quantum and any other way to keep people from really receiving the resources that they're owed and that they should have been provided at birth their birthrights like it's really horrifying and I also think speaks to the type of things the atrocities that like that our government have done and are still continuing to do because when I heard that I also heard and and we've had conversations about this before Ryan but thinking about the census like what does that mean for Native Americans and like how the government can track how much of this how, how many people how many generations before it gets to the blood quantum level that they're able to then break any treaty or break any agreement about the resources that are provided for these communities yes a thousand percent and actually you bring up the census um remind me when we had this conversation a few months ago actually something that i learned today is well not today is in you know the last six months is that on the census like i always felt the census as african-american and an american indian but to be counted for quote-unquote federal dollars you can only put in native american because so every time that i filled out the census i've been being grouped into a mixed race or, or multiracial or biracial and what does that mean that means that my tribe when it gets grants and it's like we have x amount of people whatever whatever like i'm not i'm not and we are not getting counted for that grant money so what happens is that tribes are continuously and ihs indian health services is continuously being underfunded because of one all of these hoops that you have to jump through right you have to be recognized by the federal government you have to be recognized by your 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 state tribe and then you have to make sure that you fill out the census correctly just so that you can get the correct amount of money to, to you know so it's just like the the government has historically found ways to continuously cut corners and you know like you said it's been less than a hundred years the right to vote to be a citizen 
And one thing that I am super, super excited about, um, especially with the, you know, people including Indigenous and the Black Indigenous POC um, acronym, is that, you know, it is that constant reminder. And I think for me, as a public health person, as a person in my position, like, what do I want to see for my people in the rest of Indian country is acknowledging that we are still here, um, acknowledging the history that we have been put through, um, but also, like, there's so much room for opportunities and potential to, to share what we know and principles from, like, Indigenous health and Indigenous teachings that people have started practicing but have also started whitewashing. And I'm hoping that with this moment that we're in right now that people are starting to speak up and being like, you know, giving credit to where credit is due, you know? I know with Brie, like, one example that I always say is, like, I remember exactly when smudging became popular, and I remember it was an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Chloe just bought a new house. I don't remember which dude that she was dating at the time, but she goes around smudging her house, and then what happened? Then Urban Outfitters and Forever 21 started selling witch kits, and everyone started smudging, and everyone started using sage, and it's just like, but it was just like, it was a trend and it was a moment without any credit or, or even history or knowledge of like what you're doing and what that means and what those implications are. Um, so I wanted also to provide some context as to like kind of what, what I've been taught as indigenous health and indigenous culture and what that means. And it's holistic. So have you guys ever heard of the medicine wheel? No, I have not. What yeah, I'm like, it? I don't think so. It's not, I, I feel like I have an idea, but break it down for us. What is it? <laughs> so a medicine wheel is, so in like indigenous culture, just um, everything is, it goes in a cycle. So like the circle is a really, it's like a thing for us. Like our powwows are in circles. Um, we believe that everything is in a cycle, circular motion. So the medicine wheel has like four directions um, and they correlate with like seasons, the point you are in your life, whether you're an elder, child, adolescent, um, kind of like an awkward middle adult, but also different parts of health. So indigenous health is, has always been holistic. It's the body, the mind, the emotions, and the spirit. And people certainly have been starting to kind of recognize that like, hey, these aren't, these aren't separate things, you know, like for me to be healthy, like I need to be spiritually healthy, physically healthy, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. And it's so great to be able to see people, especially people of color, really grounding themselves in that truth. And I feel what it is, is just that like, generational wisdom like it's intuitive like you know when something's off and the fact that people are getting back in touch with that is really amazing so a question I wanted to ask was what were y'all taught in terms of health like was it always segmented like your spiritual life was separate from you know your physical ties your mental ties your emotional ties or what kind of worldview did you grow up with in terms of health I can, I'll start. That's a really great question. And I'm honestly taking notes like, yes, I need this, look up this wheel and like start to incorporate it. <laughs> and that answers my question. And I don't think I, I grew up realizing that all these pieces, all these different forms of health, how all these things are interconnected, not some, not in a way that was explicitly named, um, especially because I think about church and like how my family is very religious. We all grew up in the church, but how like even the church wasn't necessarily involved in health. And so like your spiritual relationship with God really was separate from all these other pieces and in your relationship with, in, with food, with health, with family. Like we, we did like, I think tie in spirituality with familial connections when we think about other forms of our health emotional health and also physical health like there there weren't a lot of opportunities to connect them and that's something I'm honestly trying to bring back just because I I know that the church has a lot of influence especially for black folks in the south so like why can't we use these opportunities to really think about how we address the chronic diseases and high comorbidities that we see in black communities um, so that's been something I've been really thinking about how to do more 
more blood pressure screenings, more diabetes awareness and education, more breast cancer screenings, like in using the resources of the church and that community to really bring into folks, because that's definitely not something we talked about when we were younger. And similarly, like I've, I've talked about now that I'm home and I'm with my family, um, opportunities to also think about physical health and like how we even walk together as a church. Like the, there's a park right across the street from the church. Like how can we use that 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 place to be to represent more than just coming here for salvation and our relationship with Christ? Like how can we use this community to really support our, each of our health journeys? Because as my mom and her siblings in that generation gets older, they are facing a lot more health issues. And I really think it's an opportunity to start thinking about life more in a circle and, and how we are all connected um, in that way and then how our health is also connected in that way. I agree with Brian, uh doing more research about the medicine wheel. Um, but I think that when I grew up, I think spirituality was in a way tied to physical health because if you were experiencing like a sickness or an illness or maybe um, something that would be diagnosed as a mental illness they would say that maybe you're going through you're being attacked you know or you're going through having a spiritual affliction so I feel like that was the way that health and spirituality was attached and you know I feel like I grew up in church with they were really like, you know, pray for healing, pray that God will heal you. Maybe like you're going through this because, you know, you're being attacked by, you know, being, you know, challenged or attacked by like maybe spiritual forces. So that's kind of the way I grew up learning about it. And when I was older, I really started thinking that, okay, like maybe everything is not spiritual battle. <laughs> maybe it's, you know, <laughs> I need to eat better so that I won't have, you know, chest pains, you know, use less oil so that, you know, I'm not experiencing heartburn. So I think, you know, now I'm, I'm learning to think of health as being like more, you know, intertwined, like, oh, I have back pain. Oh, it's probably because I'm not sleeping well. The chair that I'm using is not, <laughs> is not good for sitting or thinking about, you know, my own mental health, like, oh, I'm not, you know, big attack. Like there's something, you know, I, I, there's something that that I need to, you know, talk about with somebody or like, you know, I'm stressed, I'm feeling overwhelmed. So I think like the church can be a good, a good site for, you know, having that opportunity, like Bree said, to connect with people and have that mind body connection by like Bree said, uh, doing church walks or doing blood pressure screenings at church like that would be a great place because people you know are there and they're going to show up and if the leader of the church is like okay like you're here for your spiritual health also a place where you can you know get in touch with your physical health like after church you know we're going on a walk so I definitely think that now that I'm older I, I'm, I'm seeing more connection between mind body and spirit. I do. Thank you for that. I do have a question, actually, Ryan, um, if this, if the healing or the medicine circle is related to healing circles, because I know that's come up in literature, too, for us when we think about public health and something that I've learned as of late, I think as recently as when I moved to Boston was just how you know, science, like a lot of times when we think about literature, we want to see outcomes, like you're funded, you have to see a specific outcome, like somebody gets this, this intervention, they need to have this amount of results, these people, this amount of people gets better, or is deemed like not successful, not statistically significant, right, and I think with learning um, from Fatima, and like some of the work we've done with maternal health, like a big project we talked about was just healing circles, and how like they could really be beneficial, and how they've been used in Native culture um, as like a company for people to really support each other um, and, and identifying like different ways to communicate that brings about a healing and a change that can be transformative and can support people on different journeys and how it might not show statistically significant results in the way that people that scientists are comfortable with but we're going to break down that also them silos and that wall of like what it means to be successful um, and how like they can be used to support people in a variety of primary care settings so that's like one reason why that interest has been coming up for me because I think about how I can support patients especially with health ed education and different comorbidities um, and it's if I'm just curious if the healing circle and that kind of tradition of community and using that that support system is similar to this medicine circle and how it's all related 
For sure. And that's an amazing question. So thank you for asking about it. The first kind of disclaimer that I wanted to share is that the idea and concept of holistic health is not something exclusive to indigenous culture. Like you can look at cultures pretty much all around the world and they have this type of sentiment you know what I mean like everywhere like it's just it's a very like western and modern thing that your physical health has nothing to do with your emotional you know whatever 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 so I say that to say in terms of healing circles I know that those can take on many different things in many different spaces with many different people with my experience when I think of healing circle I think of a sweat lodge so in in the indigenous context, um, in the United States at least, um, sweat lodges is a place, it's, I guess you could call it a healing circle where you go in, so the men and women have separate ones, right, and you go in and you usually go into them naked because it represents the mother's womb, where you're you're most pure and you're most, you're innocent and, and vulnerable, and so yes, you are sweating physically, but also emotionally and just kind of like letting it all out, right? And I say traditionally it was for men because women have menstrual cycles. So because women can, they self-cleanse internally every month, there's not as much of a need to sweat in a lodge like the men do because they don't have that biological process. I think one of the best advice that I was ever told um, from actually my cousin, who is amazing, shout out to Leah, um, is to be very mindful of what healing circles you go into. Because if you think, if you have the mindset that you are going in to purify and to shed all of the things that you know, have been burdening you, that have been sickening you, this, that, and the other, you have to be mindful that other people are doing the exact same thing, and you don't want those things to be attached to you, right? So I was going to do, like, my first sweat, because that's not something that I grew up doing, and she was just like, I would recommend, like, if you want to do it, like, make sure that you know who you're going into a sweat lodge with or a healing circle with, because, those people are now part of your journey and you don't want to be tied negatively by that same kind of concept with the powwow circle. So when I say a medicine wheel, it's it's not really like a, like we carry around a wheel, but more of like a visualization of a concept. A framework. I love it. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. A framework. But the powwow circle is kind of pretty much the same thing. Like we dance for for healing and we dance for prayers and that same concept of you know you don't just dance for yourself but you can dance on behalf of others you know what I mean you're praying for healing on behalf of others and so going above that because like those spaces are so intimate we don't usually children don't enter a powwow circle until they've taken one trip around the sun because it's the belief that in that first year like children are still tied to the spiritual world they're in that in-between transition phase and so the same concept of like you don't want them to pick up what other people are pretty much releasing you know so in terms of healing circles I think that they are great I think that they're amazing I just want people to be intentional about what you're entering and and who you're entering with you know, um, just be like mindful of that. And that's kind of pretty much with anything. I mean, like you wouldn't go into a business with somebody that you don't really know. You don't know how they handle finances. Like, (laughs) like why is our, why is our health, you know, any different? You know, you hopefully, um, are able to choose doctors if you have to have a surgery, like you build a relationship because you're going into something with somebody together, regardless of the role that they're playing into it. But yeah, they've been popping up all over the place. And it's been, it's been great to see people, you know, reconnect with themselves and seek that out. Something I also wanted to say was that, you know, I think it was probably episode one, I believe it was Fatima who shared the definition of, of health and kind of indigenous health is with this balance. The presence of a sickness is because there's, there's an imbalance in one of those four things in the medicine wheel, right? Like there's an imbalance with the mind, the body, the spirit, or the emotions. And that's when you start to see things manifest. 
And I think people are getting back to that understanding too, regardless of the cultural context that it comes from. And that's really exciting to see. That's really exciting um, for people to step away from this westernized prescribed notion of health and what it means to be healthy and where we get, like we talked last episode, where we get our health information from. And like you said, Bree, not everything has to be measured. And like, who came up, like, ask yourself, who came up with these, these ways of measuring things? You know what I mean? The same people uh, that oppressed us. So <laughs> like yeah. the same people that are still oppressing us, you know? So it's just like, just, and, and it goes back to that same thing of recognition. Just because the white man doesn't or does recognize it doesn't mean that it holds any more or less weight when it comes to you and your health and your background and and what your your journey is. Do you, boo? Listen, that's what it boils down to if it's working for folks. Like, who are we to say that it's not an intervention that can be advertised or promoted because of whatever boundaries institutional systems want to say is is credible and like can be successful <laughs> so i i hear that that's awesome how would you say i have a question how would you say people can engage with these pra- indigenous practices in a respectful way if they want to incorporate it into their own healing routine uh that's a great question so i will start off with saying like always do your research and know whose land you're on. You know what I mean? Like we might be only 1% of the population, but we're still here. So (laughs) you can, you know, and I'm not saying you have to go knock on a reservation door or headquarters or tribal cultural center, but try to make connections um, with people, whether it's on Instagram, there are so many virtual spaces, shoot, like search an indigenous hashtag and just start, you know, respectfully inquiring and being like, you know, I want to learn more about this. In my experience, people are always receptive to that. Um, There are certain things that I know that I will share and I will not share with non-Native people. Like, I'm not smudging with anybody Um, (laughs) that's non-Native. You know what I mean? Like, that's just me. But I also recognize that smudging exists in other cultures, you know? So it's like a personal thing. But yeah, know whose land you're on. Reach out to people. Shoot, even if it's on Instagram. And just ask the questions. You know what I mean? I think that this is a scenario where you don't necessarily want to Google things, but try to talk to actual people and and build those relationships. And not just for, you know, your own health, but, you know, if we're all going to be advocates, like we have to know each other's stories. We have to create the space for other people's stories and teachings and learnings to be heard, you know, but some like lower level stuff that I always say is, you know, we always, we have this saying, or this belief, you know, the seven generations before and the seven generations after, you know, so you're always going back to that, that family wisdom, that traditional wisdom, but you're also doing things for the seven generations ahead. We are all benefiting from things that our ancestors did seven generations ago, and the things that we are doing now will benefit seven generations to come. So also, like, something that you can just do is have those conversations, have those conversations with our parents, you know what I mean, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, and with Native people, and just, you'll be able to sift through what resonates with you, what doesn't feel right. Um, I say this as a Christian woman and an Indigenous woman, like, there are certain things that I don't do because it doesn't sit right with me spiritually as a Christian woman, and there are things that I don't do because it doesn't feel right as an indigenous woman, you know? So like Bree said, uh, just that self-awareness, listening to your body, listening to your spirit is something that everyone can do. Um, that doesn't cost anything. <laughs> Facts. Yeah. I just want to plug, cause like you actually, Dar, you asked one of the questions I was going to ask about just learning more about the lands that we're on. And it's so crazy how things just align, especially as I knew we were going to have this conversation. Something that came across my newsfeed um, is an app called Native Land app, Map. Excuse me, Native Land Map. It's on both Android and iOS, the app stores. And it's a an app that was created by an indigenous guy from Canada who is thinking about how a lot of times we look at maps with a very colonial perspective. And so his, his researchers and his team have like set to create this map that can tell you what ancestral lands and what groups live there and what native folks might've been settled 
there um, and are currently still settled there, if not displaced. And so it's a way for you to check in and see, of course, like where you, whose land are you existing on and learn more about the people, I believe. So check it out and let us know what you think. Bree, that's, oh, that's super awesome. dope. You definitely just put me onto that too, because I'm definitely going to check it out. Uh, uh, the only, on I, I posted on my Instagram, um, like a, I think last month, a map of Wampanoag Nation in the 1600s, just so people can know, like, even in Massachusetts, like, kind of where the, you know, what's the history behind that, you know? Um, that's super dope. I'm definitely going to check that out. Also, something I've been working on is just, like, decolonizing my language, learning the indigenous names for, you know, landmarks, national landmarks, wonders of the world or something, are very low level things that you can do to just try to get your, your mind out of that colonial mindset. You know what I mean? Like when the Oklahoma Supreme Court decision came out, um, I was seeing a lot of people, the conversation about <laughs> Mount Rushmore and that was a whole nother tidbit, but even learning the indigenous name for that, it is something I have not learned how to pronounce yet, but I think the other one was Mount Everest. Oh, it's just like, just learning, you know, like indigenous people were here before all of these things were carved and you like defaced the side of a beautiful mountain, like, you know, um, so just even things like that, it just puts you in a mind state, you know, even for me, like when I was looking up you know, Mount Rushmore, Mount Everest, these different indigenous names. It's that little reminder of like colonialism has been and white supremacy has been so pervasive that sometimes you don't even think twice about it. You know, you don't question what Mount Rushmore was before Mount Rushmore, right? Like an indigenous health and indigenous history doesn't start at 1620. It doesn't start at 1492. It started long before then. So yeah, there's, there's so much, so much to do, so much to learn. That's what I'm here. Just so much to learn and to hold ourselves accountable to doing that learning and unlearning. Mm-hmm. Facts. Yeah. So I think that I know I feel like I put on a little mini lecture today. <laughs> uh, do you guys have any other questions or things that you want to talk about? Um, or if not, we can just jump right into our wellness segment. Is there anything else you want to cover, Ryan, that we, we just, we just, I think this is a good intro episode, like we're just getting into it and there's so yeah. much we can do, um, especially thinking about health inequities and. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for now, like this is a, a really good start, a, a good primer for a larger conversation. Um, and, you know, like even the process for me is still learning and uh, yeah. still unpacking things. So I definitely appreciate this opportunity to kind of set the stage to have this conversation and to answer questions and also to like validate some things that, you know, we always hear in society that like, oh, like my great, great grandmother was Cherokee. I'm like, she, there's a very good chance that she was, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, But the census and just going back to these, these systems of oppression when it comes to recognition and division and, you know, who recognizes who for what and how. It's just got to get your mind state out of that and, and reclaim back your, your time and your culture and your heritage and your wisdom and your knowledge and, and stand firm in that regardless of, you know, who says what. Facts. Look at you just dropping all these gems. Look, this is going to be one of the episode highlights. <laughs> right? <laughs> but please don't pull in Elizabeth Warren. Um, <laughs> oh, Lord. yeah. That's a whole other conversation. Too. <laughs> when it comes to recognition, you do have to remember that, like, it's not just what you claim, but who, who claims you to? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I think the, the problem with that sentiment of, you know, I'm whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, is that, you know, I don't care if you are 116th Native, I don't care if you're 99% Native, like, what are you contributing to the health of your people? What are you contributing to the future of your people? And if you are there to only take, that is very transparent. Um, If you're only there for benefits and not even benefits if you're only there for benefits and birthrights like that is transparent so my problem is the people that want to claim native heritage without taking any initiative to learn your history to learn 
how it came about to learn about shoot like your family your tribe you know how to help like how to contribute so yeah I just there's like a little caveat in there I guess that it's like yeah make sure the people that you rep are repping you too because it's a community and it can be a beautiful thing if if your heart's in the right place yeah you can't just claim it when it benefits you facts real life facts (laughs) thank you for saying that well thank you for leading this discussion um i i'm definitely excited to jump into it more later on um so right now we're just going to take the time to highlight some native owned businesses so the first one that i want to highlight is actually a business that's owned by one of Bree's family members so hopefully i'm pronouncing this name right So the name of the company is Ashai Beauty and it's based in New Mexico and it is owned by Asaki Ba LaFranche Chachere. Bree, did I get that right? You're close, yeah. So it's Ashi Beauty and yeah, Asaki Ba LaFranche Chachere. Okay, great. So um, a little bit about her. She grew up on the Navajo Reservation located in Northeastern Arizona. And she's a small business owner in addition to Ashi Beauty Four Arrows Logistics, Four Arrows Western Wear. And um, so Ashi in Navajo means this is me, this is mine, that's me. And Ashi Beauty together means this is my beauty. And it is a luxury skincare and full cosmetic brand for the fearless and unstoppable souls who enjoy quality skincare. Ashi Beauty Goals is to empower and inspire all ages, people of all ages globally by offering quality skincare. And it is also indigenous black owned and operated and cruelty free, hypoallergenic, paraben free. And um, they have also some vegan and gluten gluten free products. So you can check out her um, website and products at ashibeauty.com. And she's also on Instagram at ashibeauty and also at ashibeauty skincare. Dope. Thank you for the plug. Shout out to my fam. Yes, there. I just want to say really quickly that she's been doing a lot of great things and it really is about empowering other women and especially women who grew up with her on the reservation to mm-hmm. pursue your highest dreams and to not let anyone tell you no. So just, yeah, support if you can. Um, it's, it's a beautiful company and beautiful organization and um, lots of opportunities to, to create more jobs and more opportunities for folks who are Navajo and who do live still on the reservations. Yeah. So the next one I want to highlight is Morning Light Kombucha. And this organization is based in Hoyt, Kansas. And the founder is Melinda Williamson. So she founded this business out of her own desire to heal naturally after being diagnosed with an autoimmune illness. And her mission is to provide the highest quality kombucha tea that nourishes her community, supports her local economy, and also strengthens local food systems that allows them to get back to Native American communities. Um, They are also committed to environmentally conscious business practices that include minimizing waste and inspiring sustainability in northeastern Kansas. So they use compostable cups, lids, straws, and sample cups. They also compost and recycle almost 100% of their brewing waste and sell kombucha on tap in refillable bottles as well. And as a Native American-owned company, helping others and giving back is built into their foundation. And a percentage of their sales are used to support various Native American organizations, community issues, and also efforts. And just, you know, for folks who don't know what kombucha is, on their website, I love their definition, they define kombucha as a living beverage that is fizzy, refreshing, and fermented. It is made from brew tea, and it is rich in probiotics, B vitamins, antioxidants, enzymes, and other healthy acids. And it aids in digestion, can strengthen the immune system, and also can detoxify the body and promote overall gut health. So kombucha is really delicious. I myself am a fan of it. Um, So her Instagram is morning at morning light kombucha. And her website is morninglightkombucha.com. And I believe it's they are only delivering to folks in Kansas. So hopefully um, one day 
we, you know, I, I'll be able to order all the way here from Massachusetts. And lastly, I will highlight Tewa Women United, and they are located in the ancestral Tewa homelands of northern New Mexico. Tewa Women United is a multicultural and multiracial organization founded and led by Native women. The name Tewa Women United comes from the Tewa words. Whew, I hope I don't. Yeah, I'm not going to say because I don't want to butcher it, but the translation is translated to we are one in mind, heart, and in the spirit of love for all. Um, so this organization believes in strengthening and re-strengthening beloved families and communities to end violence against women, girls, and Mother Earth. They provide courageous spaces for Indigenous women to uncover the power, strength, and skills they become they possess to become positive forces for trans transformative change in their families and communities. And that has been their commitment since they've been founded in 1989. So the programs they have include Circle of Grandmothers, Indigenous Women's Health and Reproductive Justice Program, Environmental Justice Program, Voices Program, and also Women's Leadership and Economic Freedom Program. And they can be found on Instagram at Tewa, that's T-E-W-A, Women United, and TewaWomenUnited.org. And they're a great organization doing awesome work in the community. And on our Instagram, we're going to promote other Indigenous businesses and organizations, and we hope that you follow and support um, their businesses and also, um, you know, donate to the, um, to the causes they're, you know, raising awareness for. So that's it for wellness this week. Let's just add though, we're not getting paid by anybody to do this promotional business. Like this is all because of our own passion. Yeah, to uplift and support people who are out there doing work and who are from the communities that we're hoping to uplift and to empower and to support too. Um, so <laughs> just want to make that plug. Okay, and thank you. Thank you, Dara, for the wellness word. Thank you, Ryan, for leading that wonderful introduction conversation. I look forward to future conversations where we can dig in a little bit deeper after I go do some homework and some research so I can come back with some more questions for you and how we can continue to learn and unlearn. And on that note, I think we're wrapping up this episode with the word of the week. And it's, it's honestly, again, thinking about how things just align. I was toying with a couple of different words that have just been kind of sitting on my spirit. And one that came to mind was balance. And then Ryan mentioned how we talked about balance in one of the earlier episodes and thinking about health um, and how when you feel unwell, there could be an imbalance in different areas of your life. And it's about pinpointing that to get to your best and optimum health. And I think that's where I'm at for this week. I've been feeling a little bit um, out of it. And I, I know it's probably because I, I moved and I know others are facing different transitions or change in seasons as well. And so for me, it, it, this, this word, the word I want to leave you all with is just balance and like, how can we start to figure out what is um, working for us and what is not working. I also am excited to get back into health and how I can center working out going forward. Um, so I hope you all are also doing some of that internal work. And if something's bothering you, thank if you, you for can listening figure to out Project and name Black. it, whether it's your emotional, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, um, or don't forget to health. share, so, rate, the word and subscribe. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter, what, Instagram, and Facebook. Until next time, take it easy and keep bridging the things that matter the most to you. Blackout! Blackout! So with that, we are out. Blackout!